Hey everybody, it's the holiday season, which means it's time to start buying presents for people and eating all kinds of delicious treats. And I know a place that can get you some delicious treats. That's not really a Christmas jingle. It's Chocograms. They have a new item, guys. It's the holiday season, so why not uh, do a decorate-it-yourself hot cocoa bomb kit? That's right. You've heard us talk about these. You know, you drop a ball of chocolate into a hot cup of water, and all of a sudden, whoa, a holiday-themed beverage. You get Marshmallows a, pop out. That's It is the most exciting thing you could possibly uh, drink, if you ask me. You get a white, a milk, and a dark hot cocoa bomb to decorate with the colored drizzle, the sprinkles, and toffee. It's a great way to entertain the little ones. Thank you very much. And you also have holiday bark. You mean the Ferengi? Tins. Oh, the Ferengi would go bananas. You know how much gold-pressed latinum they'd be giving, shelling out for this uh, Choco Bomb kit? Probably lots. I'm not entirely sure how the Ferengi economy works as of yet, what one gold-pressed bar of latinum is worth, but I'd say at least a few. They would be jumping on the discount, wouldn't they? That's right. They sure would be. There's holiday bark tins, too, guys. Mint chocolate. It's the season for it. Why don't you get it? It's here for a limited time. They've got peppermint, mocha mint, and matcha mint. That's right. And everything they sell has a three- to nine-month shelf life. So you can buy it early for the holidays and make sure you have it in time for gift-giving season. You can also ship it to anywhere you'd like in the continental United States. Oh, what a treat. You want to save some money? You can do that too. Just use the promo code Frank Sinatra. Come on. Head to ilovechocograms.com and use the promo code Frank Sinatra. Come on to save 15% off your first order. It's the holidays. Make them sweet with Chocograms. Nice. Thanks. They can use that. You guys, if you need that as a slogan, <laughs> it's all yours. Podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Hey everybody, welcome to Star Trek The Next Conversation, the galaxy's number one podcast with two people talking about Star Trek The Next Generation that are hosted by Matt and Andy. I'm Matt. I'm Andy. And I'm Devin Aniral. And I'm God. And I'm the deputy. And I'm just an old man. And I'm out of touch. And I'm not daydreaming either. And I'm not used to dying. And I'm no spring chicken. And I'm getting younger. And I'm... Well, look at me. And I'm annoyed. And, uh... I, uh... I'm not good at politics. And, uh... <laughs> it seems like a great place to cut it off. 
Oh, that's a beautiful supercut. Uh, in case you're that's wondering, everybody, that is about one quarter of the way through. That was sent to us by the uh, the cutest of Borg, uh, who has a Twitter account. If you want to check check that uh, cutest of Borg out, um, really, really delightful and detailed work. Not only did they pull individually every one of those clips, uh, but they also gave us that supercut, which I just used. So I'm pretty delighted by it. I would actually have to build an entire new soundboard just to house the and I'ms. It's really crazy. A lot of people had sent us the uh, and I'm God and Cutest uh, of Borg, I think, beat them all to that too. Oh my God. Oh. With the speed of a Borg. Oh, you God, you. Of a Borg cube. Speed. Borgs themselves are actually very Oh God, you devil. Remember that, Andy? That I was, do. That was the sequel. <laughs> that was right. It was George Burns' Both God and the Devil. That's right. Thank you, John Denver. <laughs> yep. He wasn't in that one. <laughs> For passing, so they had to fill it. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> Duh. Come on. Welcome to Oh God, You Devil, the podcast. I'm Matt. <laughs> I'm Andy. We take a look I'm at sure minute by what minute. the result will be, or... Even that my assumption is correct. And I'm still not entirely convinced that all this isn't your latest attempt at a puerile joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, too. Oh, gosh. Andy, uh, should we just head over to the Admirals Club? Why not? All right. Let's, Why shouldn't we? Uh, I mean, What's stopping us? A lot of things. Uh, our attention span... Uh, sure. Our forgetfulness, uh, yep. our desire not to walk four steps over to this door. Welcome so far. to the Admiral's Club. Matt, other than walking those four steps, how would they get into the Admiral's Club? Uh, all they have to do, Andy, is leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and that review could say anything you'd like it to, as long as it's five stars. You would then be welcome into the Admiral's Club, and... Uh, Andy likes to single out uh, some folks this week. Who do we have in the Admirals Club? Well, first off, we have NB3004, who writes uh, Night for Day. is the title of the, <laughs> of the, uh, of the review, I guess. Uh, and NB3004 says, If two mildly successful TV writers debating whether the Enterprise has a night shift or not sounds like fun to you, then this is the Frank Sinatra podcast for you. <laughs> Pretty accurate. That's incredibly accurate. Shockingly so, actually. And the next one is titled uh, Love the Show from Dunn 187 who writes, I just wanted to tell my ex to go to hell. <laughs> Jaden one eight seven gave us five stars, so there you go, friend. Go to hell, X. Go to hell, X. You don't deserve Jaden one eighty seven. Um, that's it. All right, for the Admirals Club. And that was the Admirals Club. All right, everyone. We're in the President's Circle. You want to come on into the President's Circle? Well, you can do it. You head over to Patreon.com. You support the show uh, and join us at the President's level. You get yourself four extra podcasts every month. Uh, last month, we did two episodes of Enterprise, the Lieutenant's Level. 
two episodes of Voyager for the President's level. And if you're at the President's level, you also get the Enterprise episode. So that's four extra podcasts every month at patreon.com forward slash Star Trek TNC. Andy, uh, I know we like to say, hey, you did a great job with your message this week to somebody with a Christopher Pike Medal of Valor. Who is that this week? It is Lieutenant Andrew Gibson who writes us, you guys completely misread the episode. Um, Picard was so... This is about the episode Lessons, last episode, obviously. Picard was so enraged about how he was treated in tapestry as, quote, junior sub-lieutenant third grade of stellar cartography that he plotted an intricate revenge to seduce and emotionally destroy the head of the unit, one Nella Darren. <laughs> now he can finally apply to run stellar cartography. Oh, my God. Could you imagine if the tapestry ran a little bit longer? And you got to see what his life was like, and he walked into his quarters, and Nella was there. It would add up. I mean, look, there we would be no reason for her to leave. We wouldn't know who that was at that point in time, but boy, that would have been something special. That would have been nice. Uh, that was All a right. great message. Enjoy your Medal of Valor. Good job, Lieutenant Gibson. Now let's and open now up on to the priority. The priority. Go ahead. One hail messages. messages. Uh, <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. All right, Andy, what's first? Lieutenant Ultimate Trekker writes, I like how Jelly Crusher was in sickbay. Very subtle, but still obvious. Great job, Gates. <laughs> I heartily agree. It's a really Good specific nice, acting, scene. Gates. Good job. Uh, not a graduate of the Andy Skunda specific acting school. Um, she had, real lost. She, she had, had a lot of choices. She had enough credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um section thirty sections thirty one agent Wheeler writes, uh hey guys, hope all is well. Wanted to talk to Andy, uh talk about Andy thinking that having a twenty four hour clock is arbitrary. On the Enterprise, I work uh sorry, is arbitrary on the Enterprise. They put a comma in a weird place. So it's not on me that time. Anyway, they said Agent Wheeler wrote, uh, I work at a secret aircraft hangar. Every shift says the opposite to each other uh, each day. So, for example, the night shift would say good morning to day shift when they start, and the morning shift would say tonight to the night shift as they're leaving, So and so on and so forth. It helps regulate our sleep patterns. Right. That's, a, that's, that's why. But you're annoyed that they don't change the lighting that often? I guess uh, my feeling is it's arbitrary. Um, right. So, you so don't, I don't know so you why. Don't, so you don't think a sleep schedule is something that you need in space? No, I think a sleep schedule is something that you need. I don't think so that a day and a do? night would is you something go you like, need in I'm going to go sleep from like uh, 17 to 53. I'll see you later. And then you'd go, what is he talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? Why? Why wouldn't you? 17 to 53? What time is 53? Well, you would g- give them an actual military time. I'm not saying you well, shouldn't that's what have they do. time. I'm saying you shouldn't have a day and a night. You should just have time. There is not no day, day and, and night in night. space. So why right, is there like, a day and a night Do you know how like, sometimes in order for yourself to sleep, you'll take something like melatonin as a person? Sure. Uh, that is that is what what is that chemical? What where does that chemical come from? That is 
to to replicate uh-huh. Uh-huh. The, what is what is what happens when the sun goes down. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. So why would you take that chemical if it was completely unnecessary for the human body or you know who knows other species of federation to have a day and night cycle? Yeah, but there is no day and night. So you might be taking that pill whether there was a night shift or a day shift or there was no day or night shift. This is Andy Secunda, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. All right. I mean, there's no, there's, no, there's no talking you out of this because what you're saying is factually correct in that it is arbitrary. I just it's just weird to me. Sure. They, they like turn the lights down and they say this is night and But don't you uh, want like strange. especially on a ship with, Particularly with children, on a military with children on it too? All right, like, I understand for the civilians it makes a little bit more sense, but for the for think, the military you think people, Guinan's going to be tending bar at 0700. You're saying that she wouldn't have the night shift or that she wouldn't be there all the time? I don't think she'd be there at 7 in the morning. Because there's less people there, you're saying. And they're serving breakfast. Yeah, but somebody's there. Do you not want breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Well, that's a that's an unfair question. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, wouldn't you want? Of course, there to I be want like, variety. But wouldn't you want there to be like a breakfast time? Like, wouldn't you like you know, say you went to the officers' mess on the Enterprise D, which exists, but we've never seen it in the show. Yeah. Uh, well, we have seen it. I think it's sort of redresses of the observation lounge that were meant to be the officers' mess. But like, you know. Uh, wouldn't you want them to have like breakfast when you got on your shift? Well, yes, but that's just because I like different varieties of food. But uh, you know, I also you and I have gone to uh, what's that restaurant you always make? Norms, mm-hmm. and uh, you're always making me go to Norms, and I I definitely have gotten waffle and breakfasty stuff at night. Yeah, uh, so but I isn't can it get like that uh, at any point during the day? It's like a fun treat, though. You know what I mean? It's not like you're always doing that. Oh, make every meal a fun treat. Look, I think sometimes you take the night shift, sometimes you take the day shift, and you, you, you just have yourself a good time. Especially if, like, if especially if Starfleet is on the same clock. Well, yes, I think that's the main question: is it have to go back to Starfleet? Anyway, other people have written in about the time, so we can circle back to this. Oh, thank God, uh, Lieutenant Cam. <laughs> there were there were there were there were at least three times as many hails about the time as what's going to be in this. Okay, here um, we go. This is not about the time, though. Lieutenant Cam writes, uh, Wendy Hughes was the first fellow Australian I saw on Star Trek. Always had a soft spot for this episode because of that. Um, regarding her odd accent, the real-world reason is probably that they needed her to sound like Picard's equal, and speaking with an Australian accent makes uh, everyone seem dumb. <laughs> The the character probably moved around a lot uh, to different planets, and Australian accents tend to be flattened or consumed when we spend time away, because why would you speak with that accent when you can have any other one? On the other hand, Nella doesn't swear once and spends no time drinking beer, so she's probably not really an Australian, unless that was Vegemite in Picard's tea. <laughs> That's the first. Oh, nice details. Oh, and then, the, and then um, uh, Cam also adds the NPS. Andy, don't Please don't attempt the accent. It's gonna be shit. Well, look at that. He listened and did not attempt the accent. Um, and I disagree, Cam. I find the Australian accent delightful uh, and uh, both hilarious, yes, but also very charming. And uh, and uh, I, I'd be happy to listen to it all day long. Well, uh, um, you want to go? You want to go to like Cuba PD and like Bondi and all these 
Australian places I watch on uh, Instant Hotel. There's a place called Cooper Pedy in <laughs> the middle the of Australia. Weirdest viewing habits outside of Star Trek. That's right. Oh come you on! You watch in, what is it? Instant, Instant Hotel? Hotel on Netflix. It was great. Uh, two seasons, Australian reality competition show. Uh, oh, they how fast do they have to open up the hotel? Uh, it's not. That's not what it is. It is um, people. Essentially, it's Airbnbs competing against each other, and they all stay in each other's Airbnbs and rate them. But that's. Isn't it going to be? Isn't it going to be slanted because they're oh, you know they're going to be rooting no, no, against no. the other people? No, they've gotten around it because they get rated as guests also, and these all get weighted to the scores at the end. Yeah, but isn't it more important that you say these people had a shitty place than say, than how, what your guest rating Andy, is? You, you got an would, Airbnb. There's you money. Would, you would be bad at this game if you but had an Airbnb. How come? You got to strategize. You can't just be a dick for the sake of being a dick. I see. Gotta be nice. Anyway, it was entertaining. Did you have it? Are they like fancy things, or they're just regular people or Airbnbs? They're regular people. I mean, it's a variety of Airbnbs. Gotcha. One of them was like the one in Cooper Pedy was built into the ground in a quarry. Huh. It's pretty interesting. That is. But there were so many flies there; it seemed terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that does not seem like a feature. Uh, specific actor trainee writes us um, thank you for graduating from my school um, am I the only one that thought the episode would have been way different if Darren asked Crusher about Picard and Crusher started it off by saying Picard's the reason why my husband died yeah I think it would have been different It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird way for her to start every conversation about the captain of her ship well, I think that she would have instantly been jealous, so that would have been her way of kind of maybe ah, dissuading Darren from. Oh, maybe that was him, her warning him, her yeah. him, her w- warning warning her that yeah. um, he has no problem sending people to their death. Yeah, I guess that's true. That would have uh, that would have given her a big warning. Um, I still maintain Darren wasn't fair when she even was saying. At first, I was angry. I was enraged at you. It's like you're not a good officer. You gotta take the hit. You joined Starfleet. This doesn't sound like somebody who hates Jellico. What does that have to do with Jellico? Being a good Starfleet officer versus not being a good Starfleet officer. Oh, that's just what you reduced my my opinion on Jellico to. I think Jellico's being a bad leader uh, and uh, by not listening to his uh, his subordinates. <laughs> bad leader by people below him not he's not doing their their thing <laughs> Secunda Moriarty 2020 um, that, that election was stolen it was stolen from me <laughs> the little the space ballots weren't counted um anyhow uh Jeff Raimondo Raimondo uh, writes, I, like Matt and Andy, appreciated the elements of this episode where the experience Picard had in the inner light crept into his, quote, real life, and you can see how it still resonated with him from time to time. There were times when his Borg experience uh, also echoed, as it did in the Picard series, but his simulated life would have to cut so much deeper for him because not only was it more recent, but it was decades of lived experience, whereas he was only a Borg for a few days, despite uh, being arguably more traumatic. I think this is a really good point. 
And also, the inner light is post Borg, right? So, yeah. Interesting. Did he? I wonder if after the point when he and his wife in inner light sort of worked it out, uh, accepting that possibly she didn't really exist or existed in some other, you know, reality where she she was he was not there. Uh, but let's say that she was. Um, I wonder if he told her. It's like, well, this is what I thought the deal was. I thought that I was this this Starfleet captain, and here are all my experiences. This is how this is how specific and detailed my experiences were. Once I got captured by the Borg, and then another time, blah blah blah. Or do you think he just kept it all to himself the whole his whole? No, life? I think he talked about it for sure. Um, I would have it would have been funny if he wrote amazing. Uh, Graphic novels Fiction, about Star Trek. Yeah, right. <laughs> great. Um, but yeah, I, I would assume that he would have talked. I mean, he because he's Picard. He seems to be Jean Luc Picard and trying to get out of it for like ten years. Yes, but he it felt like he was keeping it to himself. Well, he also wasn't sure like if he had accidentally traveled back in time to another. You know, didn't want to fuck the timeline up, so. Oh yeah, but I think that like by the time he's accepting of it and has decided I'm going to live this life, he's 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 telling he's fine telling them. Yeah, it's oh, interesting. Uh, any uh, any uh, any non-canon information? Feel free to share it with us. Uh, Lieutenant Samuel Olesh writes: uh, I was walking my dog, listening to the episode. When Sousa started playing, I immediately fell into step. Thanks for the mind control, guys. <laughs> Played a lot of John Philip Sousa last week. J.J. Uh, Carter and Jess are now allies uh, going to get good pizza to cover up 2020. Um, <laughs> they both wrote flattering things about me in the uh, Patreon. Thank you both. Um, I'm glad you're friends now. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, high school band director here. I was listening to the beginning of the pod on my 6 a.m. drive to our freezing cold, socially distanced marching band rehearsal, and you gave me a good laugh. As ship's band nerd in residence, just wanted to let you know Sousa did not make the Sousa phone, but it How did convenient. Request, <laughs> uh, did request it be made and had a big hand in its design. Basically, the tuba-esque instruments that they had in the time couldn't quite play the music he had written the way that he liked. So he said, screw that, and reinvented the wheel. Same origin story as the, the saxophone. Jesus. And if you don't like something, make it yourself. Anyway, off to rehearsal I go. <laughs> Crazy. And the saxophone was just like... I don't know what the saxophone sounded like before it was turned into the saxophone. I assume it was an oboe or a clarinet. And then they were like, we need this to be bigger or smaller. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Joel Irons writes, here's something that bugged me. Uh, oh, here's this is about the shift. Okay, so it's a night shift. Skeleton crew, sure. But Darren's comment about the replicators, that, oh no, this isn't about this, uh, that she thought everyone would be asleep. Come on, you're telling me no one uh, having to work at the 3 a.m. shift needs a cup of joe to keep themselves up? Selfish. Also, to Matt's comment about them probably being synced up to Starfleet, I don't buy it. That would insinuate that all starships are synced up the same way. All it would take is some half-decent Romulan commander to say, hang on, everyone's asleep. Now's a good time to attack. My headcanon is that when starships are first officially launched, bottle of champagne and all, that the time is synced up, say, 8 a.m. at the start of the day, and then it goes from there. Makes sense when admirals often wake up, 
captains in the middle of the night, they usually say, sorry for waking you up. But it does kind of suggest that for them, it's working hours. Didn't uh, Matt use I'm God, use the other one. Oh, this is Joel Aarons who sent us the... I wonder if he's... He must be... Um, Cutest of Borg. What were you going to say, Matt? I was going to say... I think it's probably dependent on like where you were launched from. Interesting. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense for the flagship of the Federation to be synced up to Starfleet time. I mean, there's definitely some kind of syncing up and clock. I don't know if they're all in the same clock. Well, there is a, there is a, there is a, yes, there is a clock that they in sync clues, up to. Clues, is that the name of it? Yep. Um, they the missing said time they, period, yeah, right. The missing time period. So, and then like when they come out of cause and effect, they synchronize the clock and figure out they're gone. They've been gone for seventeen days. Oh yeah. Um. There you go. Um. Lieutenant, I just say that there shouldn't be a day and a night. That's on my only stance. <laughs> Lieutenant Catherine Gartner writes. Uh, oh, is the fencing partner that's busy Guinan? I would guess that she she would be right. Yeah, but what is she busy doing? Making breakfast for dinner? Oh, Guinan, you're crazy. (laughs) Brett Schultz writes, uh, they would have to keep concepts like night and day for psychological reasons, and no doubt it helps to make sure you are synced up with Starfleet Command and other ships. Of course, you do have to ignore uh, how all of the faster-than-light travel time dilation would affect that, but it Mm, did always seem... Silly that there was a night crew at all, or that the senior staff would work the same hours and leave the rest of the day to the B team, as if Klingons and Romulans keep the same hours and would also be asleep, or that spatial anomalies only happen during the quote day. So but it wouldn't be as much fun if only a third of the main cast were on the bridge at the same time. Is this person saying that the key to power in this galaxy is figuring out the sleep patterns of other races? Seems like it, and just attacking while they're sleeping. <laughs> I mean, this person saying that's absurd. That's why they're saying it's there is no there's the, the concept like day and night are silly. I think. I mean, look, you want to go up against the Enterprise with Captain Data in charge, then attack them at night. I dare you. You think they do? You think Data would do okay? Is that what you're I saying? think he'd do just fine. Not as good as Picard, though. Or are you saying that Data's a better captain or an equal to captain of, of Captain Picard? Is that what you're saying? We'll never that? know. He never got the chance. Um. Oh yeah. Does he never become? He never becomes a captain later either. That's a real drag. Boy, they do not trust androids. That's a hand to tell Shiar in there. Uh, Lieutenant Katie Connolly writes. I will be honest. I've never. I had never. I have never seen this episode. I have never seen this episode. I wonder if you watched it now, Katie. Uh, preteen me was so madly in love with Picard that I could not handle any episode that even hinted at romance with him. Don't even get me started on my hatred for Vash. Uh, Vash? Vash. Uh, even as an adult now, it still feels wrong to watch this episode, and I can't bring myself to do it. LOL. Wow. Uh, lo- love hearts emoji face. Um, yeah. And there were a couple other uh, ladies that had said similar things. Um, it's interesting that they like could barely watch this episode and they were filled with rage. Um, uh, it's well, I, but well, from what place is it coming? I mean, the jealousy. The, the I had a crush on Picard. I get so That's multiple women from. had a crush on this fictional character and could not watch the episode because of this. 
Or they when they watched the episode, it made them mad. <laughs> that interesting. is wild. I think when I have a crush on somebody in a TV or movie. <laughs> I'm right here, Andy. Go ahead. <laughs> when I used to watch uh, G4, <laughs> that, uh, that cute as a button. I'm here to review some would come stuff. Out, I would go... Who is he with? I don't want him to be with anyone else. Um, but uh, I think I I put myself in the mind of the person who is in the romance with them. I don't uh, I don't think that person is a is a threat to me. Yeah, why don't you live vicariously through uh, Nella? Yeah, because then it would be heartbreaking at the end. Hmm, that's um, <laughs> unless you last... decide that that's the only way to save your love. Like Larry Nemeshek decided. That's true. Is to part ways. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Nemeshek. Um, Lieutenant Jason Randall is our last priority. One message writes, imagine being the new guys when the new staff come on board the Enterprise to be sent to their death a week later. Savage. <laughs> that's, that's, you just have to expect the unexpected on the Enterprise. So uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Let's uh, get out of here. And let's open up the hails proper. Captain, Captain, we are being hailed. Corey Cunningham writes us, uh, Hey, Matt and Andy, I've been waiting for this episode for so long. Trek is famous for rattling off nonsense, science-y terms in order to move the plot forward. But this is an episode uh, in which they finally say something bizarre and nonsensical about my area of expertise, music. When Picard says... During the second arpeggio of the first movement, I noticed you played an F minor chord instead of a diminished D. This is completely fucking wrong. For one thing, arpeggios happen so frequently in places like this that you would never talk about them uh, like that unless you want uh, to end up saying things like, on the 35 arpeggio in the second movement. You would just cite a measure, number, and a beat. Uh, also, she played a different chord than the one that was written. That means she played the wrong note. This isn't jazz. You don't get to decide what harmonies you use in a Chopin piece. <laughs> Chopin already did that. Also, different types of chords have different implications of harmonic direction. So changing the chord would potentially ruin the voice leading uh, that Chopin had set up. Uh, Picard isn't praising her for her bold interpretation. He's praising her for fucking up Chopin and being smug about it. Also, the second arpeggio in that movement isn't even a D-diminished chord. So, checkmate, Picard. It only took me 11 years of schooling to get a doctorate in music, and I feel like it was all building this moment where I could criticize the one, this one obscure line of dialogue in a TV show from the early 90s. Oh, my God. If you were in the president's circle, you'd be getting that a easily, Medal of Valor. Easily be a Christopher Pike Medal of Valor. That is pal. a great email. Thank you for that. Um, let's oh, see. my this email is... agrees. <laughs> uh, this is uh, entitled Wendy Hughes and Ella Darren from Michael You know Samet. what, Andy? Since it's after 9 p.m. on a Friday, why don't we go ahead up to the corner of our notifications on our, our laptops and just turn on Night Shift. It's the Night Shift here on Star Trek Podcast. My lighting got you yellower, didn't it? <laughs> here on Earth where... Uh, where we have a sun that is uh, rising and setting every day. <laughs> what are you talking about? We're not on Earth. We're on a ship. Oh, sorry. Oh, God. I, destroyed. I was just oh, I was talking God. about my holodeck program. Oh, I, I trapped us in a holodeck program where we're on oh. Earth. Andy, I hope the safety protocols are on because I want to kill you. 
Michael Samet writes us. Um, Michael Stamets? Uh, <laughs> Michael Stamets. <laughs> um, Paul Stamets' his brother uh, writes, uh, just thought you guys would be interested to know that Wendy Hughes was one of Australia's finest and most prolific actors. Her award-winning career was sadly cut short when she passed away in uh, 2014, age 61. I think I, I did note that at the end. R.I.P. Wendy. Uh, keep up the chaotic work. Um, from Darnell Smith, um, that he uh, he sent in a a, a hail um, and a voice hail. Uh, the first one is uh, here's a clip from Star Trek First Contact that can be used when Andy, whenever Andy mispronounces it, Excelsior. <laughs> I think you know what that one is, and, uh, Matt. He is the <laughs> Zephram Cochran of this podcast. Deanna. <laughs> <laughs> right from the uh, the uh, empath's mouth, um, and then the uh, second one is uh, his uh, voicemail entitled "Time on Enterprise," which is a longie, but uh, I thought uh, ironically, the one about time. Oh, yeah, is that's long. true. That's so true. So true. Hey, Andy and Matt. So, in the middle of listening to lessons, and wanted to pause a bit and, and talk about time on the Enterprise. I know this is. Uh, uh, something that's always tripped up Andy. So, like, it was uh, like, what time is it, so and who determines opinions, midnight? I so, I wanted to give a perspective as a, trips a veteran. Out. I served on a submarine, and so we, uh, of course, would go weeks without seeing sunshine. So, we had to figure out how time worked. Hang on, let me just so, pause it right there. Andy doesn't give a shit. You don't have the sun. You don't get to have a night or a day. That's the Andy Secunda stance. So here's the deal. So on a submarine, or at least on our boat, we had uh, three watch shifts similar to the Enterprise. So each shift was six hours. So that gave us 18-hour days instead of a 24-hour day cycle. So six hours on watch, six hours off watch to do like you know things like maintenance and training, and then six hours to sleep, and then you wake up, you're back on watch. However, clock's got to be on 24 hours. So we had a couple different choices, and it was usually the captain's prerogative. So the captain would say, leave the clocks on the local time of whatever port we were in. So we'd either have it on whatever time where we were home ported, and then we would change it to the time zone of where we were about to pull in a few days earlier. So it'd be like, okay, we're pulling into Pearl Harbor in a couple days, change all the clocks to Hawaii time to get adjusted. One time we had a captain who totally pulled a Jellico and said, okay, change all the clocks to Zulu time. And Zulu time is essentially Greenwich Mean Time or London time, and that's kind of standard military time. And he wanted to do it to align everything to military time. The problem was, like, it messed us all up because, like, sunrise and sunset, which we still had to figure out for Periscope stuff, uh, would be a weird time. So it'd be like, okay, sunset is at 2 p.m. and sunrise is at, you know, like at a weird hour too. So, Classic anyway, Jellicoe screwing my guess up. is on the Enterprise, probably it's all up to Picard as to what time it is and it's a 24 hour day and he's probably made that established. So, hope that answers it. Oh, one more thing you'll figure out on Deep Space Nine is it's a Bajoran day, so the, there's 26-hour days aboard the station. All right. Love the show. Talk to you later. Oh, interesting. 26-hour days. Uh, that is a quality voicemail. Thank you, Darnell. 
Darnell, thank you for allowing Andy to see that Captain Picard probably just decided <laughs> we're going to go on Labar France time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it would be a great detail to come out, and everybody's griping about it. Um, Eli Endress writes us, Andres? Um, who knows? Um, uh, Eli probably does. Uh, Picardigan question. Um, and Eli writes, uh, Matt Andy, does Picard always have his pants tucked into his boots, TOS style, while wearing the Picardigan? Also, could y'all ask the uniform expert why the blues vary so much uniform to uniform? Was the original material or dye hard to get? It really stood out when Nella Darren sat next to Crusher in the episode last week. I've included screenshots like a madman. Keep up the good work, boys. You have some of my favorite episodes coming up. John Cooley. You that, really. John Cooley. Huh. Hell hailing yeah. John Cooley. John. Now, does John Cooley listen to this podcast, or is he just... You know, it depends. Like, sometimes I get a message from him where I'm like, oh, he listened to an episode from last week or a couple weeks ago. Yeah. The end. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, he'll tell me, he'll give me a, in great detail some uniform question we had three weeks ago. Gotcha. Um, well, Cooley, you're being called up to the front. This is a specific question, and I believe, and I'm going to answer, and then John will tell me if I'm wrong. My instinct is that whenever Picard is in the Picardigan, he does tuck into the boot Wrath of Khan pant style. That's why. my instinct. But John will know for sure. What about the blue question? Any thoughts? Uh, I, I don't that know why that throws would be. Me. You know, I have a book on Star Trek uniforms, uh, but I'd rather ask John. <laughs> it's just on Star Trek uniforms? Yes. This is the most specific. Is this the most specific fandom? Well, it's What's about the most costumes. specific it's fandom. It's about costumes. The what, do you, costumes. what would you guess? The most specific fan, like the one that has been delved into the most in every corner of the universe is. Tolkien would have to be up there, but Tolkien. So. Yeah, and Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah. Is Star Wars. Do you think Star Wars beats Star Trek? I would say Star Trek beats Star Wars in that category. In men, well, because Star Wars is just whatever it's whatever they show. decide it is, whenever they decide to change it. Wave his hand dismissively. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, you love, know, there's you canon love and the last canon. three movies? <laughs> no. <laughs> they just... It, tell me if I'm being incorrect in my waving of my hand. Uh, and Palpatine's back. And uh, do you enjoying Star Trek Discovery, Matt, or Picard? <laughs> I have not seen season three of Discovery yet. Have you enjoyed uh, Picard? I did not enjoy Picard. There you go. In a way, I mean, that all, I to. all franchises have their their spots that are a little bit. Oh no, no, no! That's not uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying uh-huh. that it's a bad. I'm not saying it's worse. Uh-huh. I'm uh, or anything like that. What I'm saying is, it feels like there's more, more of a whim, more malleability. In yeah, in Star Wars, like even back to like George Lucas going uh, midi chlorians. Uh-huh. Well, that I would say that's an that's a an instance where he was sticking to what he thought made sense. He just none of the rest of us made thought it made sense, and therefore the future people that handled it were like, "We're going to pretend that never happened." Yeah, but now people are like, "Let's go back to that." That's true, but nobody's gone back to Cybok. Not yet. <laughs> Give it a, give anyway, it a minute. give it a minute. <laughs> the, the, 
I, uh, you know what? I bet you. Let's pitch the, the Cybok series. I bet you in Strange New Worlds they'll do a Cybok episode. I would. I would. That would. I wouldn't hate that. Me either. I'm excited about Strange New World. I've said it before. Strange New World. If um. Um. Well, apparently, close to a vaccine. So. Matter we oh, gonna you keep, think do you think that's the reason? <laughs> what what do you think the holdup is? There's a lot of production over there. There's a big backlog. You know, a lot of Star Trek happening. Yeah, and but isn't it all different teams? Isn't it all over overseen by Alex Kurtzman? You think it's a log jam at Alex Kurtzman? I think it's a log jam, probably at the at, like. I mean, how much time could one person have? Although I don't know, Kevin Feige's overseeing yeah, I feel everything. Like Kurtzman doles it out, and then notes come back, and he says, "Change this, change this, change this," and then Throw he sends out these sends nine it. episodes. Yeah. Um, I would. It seems like that would be a difficult circumstance to work under if you were running one of those shows, but maybe not. Uh, maybe it gives them more freedom than we're when than we're thinking. <laughs> I wish I had a screenshot of his face right now. Um, and the last hail is a voice hail. Uh, and you can play it. It's the clip from Alex Cherkasky. Uh Is this the video you mean? Oh, I guess it's a video. Sorry. Hi, also. Really. Really perfect. By the way, I forgot that Devin Aniral had that that uh, lady with him on his arm. Oh yeah, what a stupid intro! What game, um, what game show was this from? Some UK game show with, or or something? Maybe not a game show. Maybe it's like a. Although well, there's very specific products behind these children. <laughs> Alex, you're going to write in and let us know. I'm going to try and slap that up because this is not. <laughs> My name is Hugh. Uh, I'm going to slap that up on uh, our uh, Instagram because this is not chronological. Um, and uh, and if you'd like to send a hail, uh, send it to sttncpod at gmail.com. Um, if you would like to get access to our priority one messages, which get special preference, s- join the Patreon. And what is he doing? Are you talking to me? Yeah, guys. No, actually, I was talking to the audience. Guys, what is he doing? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what your what your issue is. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know that that is so hard and fast that you close it out and then I tell you the thing. It seems like it would make more sense. For me to talk about how you get something in the hail bag and then you close it out. I mean, maybe if we're on like military time, but. <laughs> um, anywho's, uh, join the Patreon. Uh, there's a post there for every particular episode, so post in the particular episode. Uh, if you'd like to tweet or Instagram to Matt, he's at Matt Myra. I'm at Andrew Secunda on Instagram, at Secunda on Twitter. And if you want to send a voice hail, it's 816-TREK-TNC. Are you waving at me? Yeah, I was waving because people, like, you, you said, I met Myra on Twitter, and I waved. Like, he did, well, like he we're did. on some sort of broadcast I don't know. Is anyone watching the Zoom? I'm Andy. <laughs> I'm Matt. <laughs> I'm Devanani Rawl. Um, 
Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess my feel it, it does feel like that's where. No, I feel like that's where the sound would go. Yeah, it to does. close it. It out. absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. Okay. Good. That feels right. Yeah. To do that, yeah. I'll play it again. I'll close it a second time. All right, well, it's time to talk Closure. about this week's episode by playing the song about next episode. We crossed the many doors, the many places. Your hails made us think of all your faces. Sit comfortably in your little Borg node. Let's talk about this week's episode. Oh, it's that moment we've all been waiting for where we finally get to talk about clues. Oh my god, which reminds me. (laughs) Matt, would you have them watch this episode? I really like this episode. I watch it quite a bit, so go for it. Matt. Oh my goodness. That's yeah, that's on me for not spotting it also. Also, Matt, this isn't clues, this is the chase. You know, I often get the name <laughs> of the episode that the chase and clues. Yes, so yes. Andy is correct. Those two names I flip in my head all the time. Because it feels like it's the same part of Picard that is activated in the episodes. I feel like lessons and clues also feel like similar titles. No, but like what I'm saying plot wise, this those two right. sort of uh anyway, Andy's right. I was wrong about <laughs> I was wrong about what episode it is. I'm sorry everybody. I forgive you, I'm sure pal. Andy, when did this one air cuz I can't find that yet. April 26th. 1993 when the number one wow what was happening then in the u.s was still informer by snow the number one song in the uk was young at heart by the bluebells the number one movie like water for chocolate never saw it what uh What's the name wrong? of the movie? Like Water for Chocolate? Was it never, I don't even think I've ever a, heard of that movie. It was a foreign film. I think it was renowned as pretty good. Um, uh, number one. one I already said that. Number one book, The Bridges of Madison County by Robert James Waller. It made $21.6 million at the box office ever. How was it the number one movie? Um, maybe it's off. These are sent to me. So, uh, I'm not fact-checking them directly. <laughs> Feel free to do so if that was the number one movie that week, April 26, 1993. Um, the number one book, allegedly, uh, Bridges Madison County, the number one TV show that week, an airing of the movie Fried Green Tomatoes. Events. Uh, Conan O'Brien is named as David Letterman's replacement. Oh, I remember uh, that. Number one movie that week was A Few Good Men. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Followed by Unforgiven and Scent of a Woman and, of course, Groundhog Day. Like, what if for chocolate not even in the running? Not ever chocolate. There's no way it was in the running. Now I, now I have to question a lot of this. I guess it was, must have been in the air. Um, whatever the case, uh, a tennis player Monica Sellis is stabbed courtside by a stalker of her opponent, Jesus Christ, uh, Steffi Graf. Hang on, 
Uh, that's also yeah, terrifying and horrible story, and it's a bummer. Uh, opening weekend for uh, Chocolate for Water, $23,000. <laughs> it does seem crazy. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Um, I, I want to say the guy's name until I'm sure who had sent us this. Um, he really did some amazing work and... Uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess I'll look at it. I'll look at it. See, okay, the most it ever made at the weekend box office. Was yeah, April, April 16th to the 22nd. Yeah. It was the number 15 movie in the country. Yeah. And it made $781,000. Uh... You know, uh, it's from a Lieutenant Commander Zach Wilson sent us these. Uh, I thank him for his work on them. No, anyway, he's he doing a great job, it. but I can't imagine that he wrote that that was the number one movie. I feel like he wrote some word or something that would have made that statement correct. I uh, think he was probably just looking at the wrong thing for that week. No, maybe but, he uh, just like wrote the number. Because let me tell you, the week that, it, that he's talking about, I will yeah. look right now. Uh, maybe it exploded the week after. It Maybe it's have. just word of mouth was so insane those the, those twenty three thousand dollars in tickets. Just Wait, I, lit now it on I fire. have the wrong thing. Domestic nineteen ninety three weekend fifteen. This will be a- April 9th to the eleventh. Um, right? No, April twenty sixth is when this was. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> oh man. No, no, no. I can't I, imagine I, I, went from twenty three thousand to number one in any event. But no, I'm just like looking at domestic weekends, and that's the weekend I have pulled up. Can I go up a week? Yes, I can. So this is the weekend from twenty third to the twenty fifth. Ready? So ignore what I said about what movie? A few good men being number one. Okay. The actual number one movie was Indecent Proposal. Okay. Domestically, ten million dollars it made. Number two. Yes. Who's the man? Number three, the, the Sandlot. Number four, Benny and June. Number Which five, was... Indian Summer. Oh yeah, Julie Warner's in that. That's Which the... one's Who's the Man? Wasn't that like the? Uh, That's a Ted Demi film. The the, the 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 wasn't that the barbers the two barbers. Uh, yeah, Dr. Dre and Ed Lover, two bumbling yeah, yeah, yeah. barbers at a Harlem barbershop. There you go. Um, thank you for correcting the record. Look, it just yeah. seemed so incredibly incorrect that a movie I've never heard of would be number one at the box office. I mean, yeah. it's not that, I, not that I ha- I've never heard of it. When I say it out loud, I'm like, oh, yeah. And I see the poster, and I'm like, I think I've seen that at a movie theater uh, or at a blockbuster. Sure. I mean, I remembered the movie. I just didn't. uh... But it was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Foreign Language Film, which is funny that the Hollywood Foreign Press would nominate a Best Foreign Language Film. How long did that last, that category? I guess it still goes. Question. That's so weird. Anyway, yeah, uh, can't speak to uh, it. what a what a digression. I apologize, everyone. <laughs> well, the record needed to, needed to be corrected. Well, I had to correct it, but you know, you're such a big ind- indecent proposal head 
that uh, you you were offended that they, they weren't uh, getting their due. Woody Harrelson, Demi Moore, Demi Moore, Demi Moore? And Redford. No. Oh yes, Redford. Thank I you. I was going to put. I am an indecent uh, proposal head then. <laughs> um. Yeah. All right. It's time for an actual segment, everybody. It's a weird movie. To have been number one. I'm going to give you $1 million for one night where this podcast is quicker than seven hours. Here we go. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, it's time. (laughs) Can't do it. Frank Sinatra, come on. It's time for that segment everybody hates. (laughs) Frank Sinatra, come on. All right, Andy, what was going on with the chairman of the board? Well, Matt, Frank was back on the road this week. While the crew of the Enterprise were mysteriously off the air for two weeks, Frank spent four days performing in West Palm Beach, Florida, and then did a quick one-nighter in Rochester, New York. As the episode airs, Frank is finishing a four-performance run at the Sands Atlantic City in New Jersey. Man, those people must have been excited. He is really just... Grinding it out. Me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. All right, everybody. It's time to uh, read from Dr. Trek's book, Star Trek The Next Generation Companion Revised Edition. Larry Nemechek wrote it. We're going to read it. This is episode something. Directed by Jonathan Frakes. Teleplay, Joe Minoski. Story by Joe Minoski and Ron D. Moore. Picard's old archaeology professor, Richard Glenn, comes calling with a rare gift and a tempting offer, an archaeological hunt on a theory that, if proven true, would have a galaxy-wide impact. Galen, I, I read that wrong. Galen is bitter and leaves the starship when Picard turns him down, but he regrets his tone only hours later as he's dying, mortally wounded after the ship is raided. Puzzled over what Galen was up to, Picard retraces their stops at empty or long-dead planets until the answer is realized. The clues he'd collected are from prehistoric DNA samples that fit into an overall pattern. But for what? The missing pieces that would provide the answer arrive at a surprise of the Cardassians and Klingons who are chasing Galen's work as well. When Picard convinces them all that they must pool their clues or fail, they find that the patterns link up to indicate star systems. The last DNA clue is decoded, but due to its suspected double-cross, the Cardassians are fed the wrong destination, and they take the bait. At the site, the Enterprise crew discovers not only is the last DNA needed uh, and the non-plus Cardassians, but a cloaked Romulan ship while the other squabble, Picard and Crusher quietly add the sample and trigger the message. Words from a long-dead race that had seeded the codes as a legacy across the various races, home planets, not a weapon or an energy source, but a tie of commonality that the old foes ponder. <laughs> Dubbed the most Roddenberry-esque episode of TNG by the staff. <laughs> hmm. I really do like it. Anyway, that's just me. What are you going to do? That's my review. Love this bunch of Andes. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. <laughs> Disengage. No, we have to yammer. Disengage. We finished yammering. Disengage. We've only begun to yammer. We've only just begun to yammer.
about Star Trek. Sorry. Our three-week mission is a routine analysis of several dozen protostars in various stages of development. Protostars. Captain, I have completed the spectral evaluation of the outer shell. Our survey of this protostar is complete. Ensign laying the course for the next one, three-quarters impulse. Riker to Captain Picard. Go ahead, number one. May I see you in the observation I'm directing, line, so sir. I'm just doing a voiceover. I'll be right there. He really does kind of seem like very pissed off that he has to get out of his chair. <laughs> He does. I don't want to well, get up. We were just about to go to this other star. Three-quarter impulse. <laughs> as as in every scene in Star Trek, the person probably could have just explained it over the... Uh, sure, the could have. <laughs> oh, I guess this was a surprise, so he couldn't have. Oh, my God. Then you can identify that object, Mr. Picard. Professor Galen. Computer, lights up. I suppose I should say Captain. Surprise! <laughs> Professor contacted me from his shuttle about an Surprise. hour ago. Surprise! We need another take. <laughs> to clarify, I insisted and your first officer was good enough to accommodate me. I trust I'm not being overly presumptuous. Now that my star pupil is master of the stars. No one could be more welcome on the Enterprise. Uh, Andy, this is the Curlin Nescus. This is the thing that he... Never mind. I don't want to spoil anything for you. Is it in Picard? No. It's later on in the series. Okay. Um... I don't know what He's to say. He's certainly obsessed with it. What do we say about this? His his archaeology love is often hinted at. We see... I know that he's like... He's preparing a speech for an archaeology conference at one point. Uh, then he has that whole adventure with Vash. And then his friend wants him to like dig up Atlantis with him. I can tell you these things. One thing. Picard is... This thing's like 12,000 years old. It seems like Picard shouldn't be manhandling it the way that he does. Also, like, I feel like he shouldn't really accept it. He should just bring it to a museum. Yeah, it belongs in a museum, pal. Come oh, on. Boy, yeah, that's exactly what Indiana Jones would say. It is what he would say. From the workshop of the Master of Tarquin Hill. Well done. Master of Tarquin Hill. Well, the Master of Tarquin Hill designed ceramic objects that were 300 years ahead of their time. All we know of him is the work. His name was never discovered. We guessed this Bob, object is but it was never confirmed. Over 12,000 years old. The planet Curl. It's a hell of a long way outside Federation territory. Indeed. I thought your study of Curlin artifacts was done long ago. I happened to be in the neighborhood last summer. I couldn't resist. Go ahead. <laughs> what if you just started making it's out with complete. it? <laughs> 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 That's not what I meant. <laughs> He's really... He plays nerding out really well. 
he was kind of doing doing the same thing with the music in well, the last episode. He's probably uh, been to a few Star Trek conventions and knows how to do it. <laughs> an individual was a community of individuals. Inside us are many voices, each with its its own desires, its own style, its 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 own view of the world. The Curlin civilization died out thousands of years ago. It, it is extraordinarily rare to find a figurine intact. Professor, this is an incredible find. It's yours, Jean-Luc. Oh, no. No. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't How have can I shelving for it. Graciously, Mr. Picard. You could accept it graciously. He really slams the top down on that 12,000-year-old thing, too. That, that guy... Don't they look? I mean, this is I don't know. Not I don't want to insult anyone uh, who might bald. They look the, they look the same age. They do look the same. And age, I yes. looked it up, and the actor playing Galen is actually. Let like, me guess. Let me guess. Oh, you're right. I heard. I heard twelve already. No, you heard. T- um, I would have guessed seven, but uh, seven what? Seven years difference. In what way? That the that Galen was seven years older, he's actually uh, twenty six years older. Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> well then, I don't know. I guess I guess Patrick Stewart. Good on him. Sorta, yeah, Patrick Stewart. It's sort of hard to it's hard to really lay anything on him because he's looked almost the same. Yeah, I know for forty years. But he's so. like he's the age that Picard is now. That right. Patrick Stewart is now. Isn't that Crazy weird? Town. It's weird to think about. Yeah. Ish, ish, give or take like five years. So. Thank you. How long can you stay? There's so much to talk about. The professor has scheduled me to Vulcan transport the day after tomorrow. Two days, but that's not enough time. We may have considerably more than that. I don't understand. I'm currently on an expedition. A journey into an unexplored and historical territory. And I intend to take you with me. Uh, by the way, uh, Norman Lloyd, American actor, still with us. He is 106 guy? years old. Holy crap. <laughs> so, I mean, when you got good genes, you got good genes. Yeah. No one like a has Hulk gone. Jesus. Wow. Things have been sporadic. I think that's how old I'm going to live. Decade, your appearance of symposia. I'm so sorry, Andy. I'm sorry you'd go that long. What? What would... <laughs> yeah, it's true. So it does seem like a waste of a long life. <laughs> so, so sorry. <laughs> Why him? He's miserable. <laughs> uh, I mean, God um, bless this guy. Oh, my goodness. By the way, the last movie he was in was Trainwreck. The the <laughs> Bill Hader Avery Schumer movie. Really? <laughs> wow. That was very recent. Yes, it was. Jesus Christ. Wow. I mean Did he ever have a regular? What's up? Did he ever have a regular a part a, a regular part on a on a TV show? He was a more of a stage and screen actor. Dead Poets gotcha. Society, Age of Innocence. Gotcha. Oh, you know, he had uh, he was on St. Elsewhere. Oh, uh, yeah. That sounds familiar. 
He was one of the um, stars of Saying Elsewhere. Was he the guy above? Dr. Daniel Oshlander. Was he sort of the, the top the top guy in, in that show? I don't know. I never what really watched I? it that what much. What am I, uh, Saying Elsewhere uh, aficionado? Would that surprise anybody, by the way? You're, you're an <laughs> elsewhere-iac? Or scheduled and then canceled at the last moment. Finest archaeologist of this century is now shrouded with a cloak of mystery. And as a result, my reputation is no doubt grown. <laughs> I've never heard of anyone who didn't love a good mystery. Was the Tower and Associates three to stain them? But as a general idea, your statement holds. So, what have you been doing for the past decade? The cast photo of St. Elsewhere for season one is 16 actors. How the hell did you give everybody time? I guess they didn't care, probably, for about a lot of the characters. Um, Are you familiar with mycopaleontology? Yes, Andy. Not that relevant, but uh, many of you will be relieved to hear, uh, in both the Patreon and in the main show, that uh, I think we may have finally solved our sinking issues. Uh, many people had written in and said, you Zoom to uh, to have Matt share the the, uh, the video. And um, we'd had some questions about it, and Ben Sunko had actually written in and uh, talked me through it. So uh, thank you. Yeah, and that was gone, be, so I then had to Google it and figure it out myself. That'll Well, there you go. That link was dead, and I was very sad about it. Oh, I'm sorry. He guest no. starred on uh, Modern Family recently. Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh my God, Mad. Let, let's write a let's write a project for let's write a TV show for him. I think it's a good place to spend Hi. our chips. Hi, uh, you know what? Hulu's <laughs> missing right now. Norman Lloyd. <laughs> I'm sorry, the octogenarian. During this time of quarantine, where everyone's life is hanging by a thread anyway, we would like to build an entire series around this 106-year-old. I think it's all got to be about Norman. (laughs) He's going to be in every scene. (laughs) I want to work him seven days a week, every other day. (laughs) Lots of close-talking scenes. At the microscopic level, I read your papers on the subject, but... That was years ago. It yes. seemed as though the work had stopped. No. The work continued. I made a discovery so profound in its implications that silence seemed the wisest course. This work has occupied my every waking thought. It's intruded upon my dreams. It's become my life. When finished, and I announce my findings. It'll be heard halfway across the galaxy. Tell me. I cannot, Mr. Picard. That information comes with a price. Your agreement to join me on the final leg of this expedition. And a sandwich of my choosing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, where, where, well, I don't understand. I don't know where, right now, but. I don't know where you're at with this episode, Andy. You've said nothing to the effect. Um, well, I can tell you what my thoughts were on this scene. Overall, um, I don't know that I liked it as much as you did. I found it interesting and entertaining, um, but it didn't grab me, and I don't know. We're going to get to it, but I don't know. 
that I was that impressed by the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, I, I will say this. Th- in this scene, uh, Frakes is going... I would say in the episode, as a whole, Frakes is going real close on people. Uh, and I kind of like it. It's very cinematic. Uh, yeah, he's like he's like uh, collarbone up here. Like even for Three old TV, where they generally stay close, he's going real. If close. I had complete diplomatic access and a starship, be a matter of weeks. But as it is, we'll only have my shuttle and whatever arrangement we can make with transports, combined with our talents. Why do you need my help in this? I'm not a young man. There will Twenty-two be years older than you, as a matter of fact. I don't want my own inadequacies to jeopardize the completion of this work. Also, I'm deeply honored that you I die in this episode. Life. But I'm alive 30 years later in real life. <laughs> Dream Granted, on. my family lived for hundreds of years, <laughs> but... Uh... By the way... Yeah? Uh... I understand they did what they had to do to get to make the plot happen the way it had to happen. But obviously they zip around pretty fast once Picard decides he's going to use the Enterprise to do this. Why didn't Picard just do that before this guy went off and got killed? He's saying it's so important. Why didn't he at least contact... It doesn't even seem like he has to contact Starfleet. I assume that they let Starfleet know that they were going to be late to the to the whatever it is. Conference, or conference. Med- med- was it a mediation? Yeah, um, but uh, he clearly could make that decision. Why didn't he make that decision before? For his friend, who's saying this is the most important thing, and just go along with him. Why did he need to leave the Enterprise to do it? Well, the Enterprise had shit to do. Yeah, but Picard blows that off anyway. Well, after the guy dies. What I'm saying is. The guy communicated how important it was. Yes, but... He, basically, the choice was, I, I can leave my life or go after this thing. It's not like afterwards he goes, all right, this is now the... It's become clear this is the more important thing, so now I will leave the conference. I will leave the Enterprise. Yeah, that's what he says. And What's the matter? I'm well, saying... What's wrong? Why didn't, he make, why didn't he make the decision before to take the Enterprise? Because that would have been irresponsible. But it was irresponsible after. Yeah, but at least he had a reason to do it. The reason is the same. Did he not trust his his prior mentor that this was incredibly important? Yeah, but he had shit to do. He had to go. He had to go be yeah, at this thing. Yeah, but he thing. blew off the shit he had to do. After a death. What does the death have to do with the decision about what the priority is? Well, he then is racked with guilt and has to go and figure this out. And then when the Cardassians and the Klingons are involved, then becomes a matter of importance for the Federation. So you're saying he acted uh, emotionally initially? Yes, even though, even though he decision. says to Crusher that he's not. Right. My, you mean... Uh, I mean to uh, Troy. Deanna. Deanna. Uh, my main point is um, that... This is set up as this. You can choose and this life and never go back to being Captain of the Enterprise, or you can continue to be Captain of the Enterprise. It's laid out very clearly. And then as soon as the guy dies, he's like, 
eh, I'm going to stay Enterprise, Captain, but we're going to go on this mission. So it doesn't seem like it would have. It was really that critical. Doesn't seem like it was really that much of a a yes or no proposition. Okay. Even if he was acting a little emotionally, I still say. Warp seven. I'm just going to jump ahead here. I'm just saying the show is terrible. It's a terrible television I program. I thought if I stared at these number blocks long enough, then I I'm would just begin kidding, to see obviously. some kind of pattern. He yells at her. So far. It's delightful. <laughs> Nothing. You like Deanna getting yelled at? I meant, I like him with you? being angry with anybody or just sort of like... I like the emotion he expresses in this scene, and I, but I don't like his stretching. It's weird. <laughs> it's if very atypical. With him. Captain, you can't start thinking like that. You didn't abandon him. You chose not to abandon a lifelong career. It was the right decision and in no way responsible for his death. I realize that. I know how much the professor meant to you. And how much you want to find out what happened. But staring at these numbers isn't going to bring him back. The conference on Atalia 7 has been scheduled for six months. Starfleet is relying on your mediation efforts Counselor, to... Counselor, this is not simply a case of me taking the Enterprise and its crew on some wild goose chase to purge myself of guilt and remorse. I will not let Galen's death be in vain. Now, if that means inconveniencing a few squabbling delegates for a few days, then so be it. I will take then the full why responsibility. Didn't you do it before. What's that? Then why didn't you do it before? He's saying it's just squabbling delegates. He can blow them off. Wait, why didn't you do that before? Because he, because Galen didn't die, and now he doesn't want his death to be in vain. I, I stand by my opinion. I stand by your opinion as being your opinion. <laughs> Captain. That's right. Get out, Commander. He's busy drinking tea and feeling bad about what he just said to you. We are about to enter the injury system, sir. Right to Picard. We are approaching injury eight. On my way. Oh, also, let's just go back a second here to... Uh, the scene with Worf getting yelled at about firing phasers. <laughs> Transmission has been blocked. I have located the shuttle, sir. It is under attack. Take us out of war. <laughs> we got On screen. Hey, Iridian destroyer. Battle stations. Bye, sir. Professor yes, Galen finally. is still inside his vessel, sir. His life signs are barely registering. Get him out of there. The shuttle is enveloped by a tractor beam. The transporter cannot penetrate it. Hail the Iridians. They are not responding. Return phaser fire. Disable their offensive systems. Worf! I don't understand, <laughs> Commander. The phaser blast was not powerful enough to destroy the ship. Transporter room one, log on to Professor Galen and transport him directly to sickbay. Aye, sir. I, um... I like Worf, you idiot. I like the age, the, the, the the urgency with which with with which Picard moves through the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's like this one. What do they mean? They could mean anything. Unless we narrow the parameters of the search, it would be almost impossible for the computer to identify the pattern with any accuracy. We tried every decryption key on record in case Professor Galen was using some kind of code, but we still can't make heads or tails of him. 
Were the Iridians able to get the number blocks? At least some of them. It's impossible to know how many. Apparently the Iridians knew more about the Professor's work than we do. They may have known what these numbers mean. Well, if they did, that information died with them. Not necessarily. The Iridians are information dealers. They may have been delivering these number blocks to someone else. Did they send a signal before they were destroyed? No, sir. We detected no transmissions. And there were no other ships in the vicinity. Well, you're all useless. The conference can wait. <laughs> Set a course there... for the Rua system. Do we? What is? What's the reason? Um, I, I, I assume it was said. Uh, what's the reason that it was destroyed with just the one shot? They don't say. Oh, they don't say. Correct. Port huh. Star System, Rua Four. What's the distance from our present? So I'm inclined to think that Worf actually had the phasers on full blast <laughs> <laughs> because he so rarely actually gets to fire them. Right. And then. Uh, <laughs> It shouldn't have destroyed it. Uh, yes, I had the phasers at full, but still. Planet. 67% of its surface is covered with water. Its landmass contains multiple animal species, including a genus of proto-hominids. Scan for earthworks and monuments that might indicate a previous civilization. There is nothing to indicate former occupancy by even a primitive culture, sir. Then what was the foremost archaeologist in the Federation doing here? He left the Enterprise in a Vulcan ship for Deep Space 4. Uh, and I bet Marina and uh, Dorn are just so annoyed that Frakes made them sit in the back of the scene every take. Alien <laughs> transport to Kayer. And then Is the it shuttle. here? May I ask you a question? Is it... I wonder... I guess the regular military must have this... It seems odd to me, and it never struck me until uh, Frakes did this this uh, that beautiful sweeping shot of everyone at the standing consoles. It's is it weird that on the Enterprise D there's a lot of people standing on the bridge, whereas it feels like in most of the other shows on the bridges, most of the people are sitting. I understand on Discovery some of the people are standing, but. Feels like in TOS, um, in Voyager. Well, they have definitely mostly seated. They have the option to sit. There's like those pull-out station seats in the back there. You know, you've seen those. And yeah. then uh, in Star Trek Generations, they finally give Worf a chair. Right. What was your question? Seems like do it's, people uh, stand all the time? No, it seems I like I think there are chairs usually. There are chairs, but they just don't haven't built the bridge on Enterprise D that way. And it's interesting that most of the other shows they have them seated. So it was interesting that they chose to break from that. But I well, guess they were looking it for also was like not fair to Dorn. Said not not fair at all to have to stand there in the back of everybody's fucking coverage. <laughs> it's yeah. Mr. Data. What do we know about Indri Eight? In the makeup, no the less. There four was hours earlier than everybody else. Vessels nearly sixty years ago. The eighth planet is L-Class. It is covered with deciduous vegetation, unexplored, with no apparent evidence of civilizations, either past or present. The planet possesses no animal life whatsoever. I want to say that uh, on October 25th, 2017, two weeks shy of his 103rd birthday, Lloyd attended Game 2 of the 2017 World Series in Los Angeles. (laughs) Number one, we will proceed to Indri 8. With all due respect, sir, we've already run into one dead end. Indri 8 doesn't seem much more promising. And we're late for the conference on Italia 7. 
I'm aware of the Federation's timetable, number one. Professor Galen visited here a few days ago, and he was on his way to Indri 8 when he was killed. There is some connection between these two planets. I'm going to find it. Aye, sir. To find it. Ensign, lay in a course for Indri 8, warp 7. Do you think you heard me? Great. Doors closed. Uh, guys, we got to talk about this Picard guy right now. <laughs> we should be going think, to the I conference. think another alien's <laughs> taking him over. <laughs> uh, where are we in the show? We passed... We're six, everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. I went back, I went forward. 50. That's the problem with me. Oh, okay. In 1750, Riker... Uh, he goes, standard orbit ends. <laughs> even that. He seems like he's barking at everybody in this episode. Well, that's because he's angry. Standard orbit ends. <laughs> Real mean. <laughs> um, and uh, we pass it. We don't have to go back to it. But uh, I love his... Uh, I love Picard scenes with Beverly. Um, I think they're really nice and quiet and resonant. I'm loving those scenes with them in general lately. I had a father. But he was like a father who understood me. Oh, I guess we did watch some of this. And he had his own children, but they didn't follow in his footsteps, so I was like the son who understood him. And yet you turned your back on him. Why I wish that he'd never come on board the ship. There you go. Nice. Good morning. Professor so long to collect them, but why? Whoops, whoops. On screen, Mr. Wolf. Some sort of plasma reaction is consuming the lower atmosphere. Can we stop it? No, sir. The reaction is global. All life on the planet is being destroyed, sir. Why would you do that? Importance whatsoever. All the life. Pretty harsh. Perhaps the professor's number blocks had something to do with organic matter. If we narrow the search parameters to the biological database, it might increase the chances of the computer finding a match. I'll be in the lab. Pattern match found. Which lab? There's 85 labs in the ship, sir. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I'm going to be in stellar cartography. No reason, just (laughs) wistfully looking at the walls. Um, uh, I think this is the thing where they're talking about they're looking for the genetic material that's been scattered to different planets that Mm -hmm. were supposedly there to... um, And it just struck me. Man, does Star Trek cast a wide shadow over sci-fi like that concept is so so pervasive uh in sci-fi um i only remember prometheus recently but the idea that uh aliens came down and spread their genetic material to influence the direction of a of a species it's really impressive is that what prometheus was about it was about this episode of star trek (laughs) Uh, no, they, Where they billions of years of ago, a, 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 a bipedal species was the only intelligent species and decided to plant their seed everywhere? I believe so. Oh, my That's God. The of it. Linda Loff, why? Yep. It's not a great movie. A lot of cool visuals, though. Well, that's, that's where it's... That's, that's cool. I like cool visuals, man. <laughs> but, but why? <laughs> Wait a minute. 
These fragments all seem to have similar protein configurations. They may be chemically compatible. Well, how can that be possible? They're different species from different planets. There should be no compatibility at all. I know. But look at the base pair combinations. They're uniform. If I'm right. Computer, connect the DNA fragments according to protein link compatibility. What is it? I have no idea. This is not part of a natural design, Captain. This is part of an algorithm, coded at the molecular level. An algorithm? Are you saying that these DNA fragments are elements in some kind of computer program? I know how it sounds, but there's no way this could be a random formation. This is definitely part of a program. This fragment has been part of every DNA strand on Earth since life began there. And the other fragments are just as old. Someone must have written this program over four billion years ago. So, four billion years ago, someone my scattered hands. this genetic material into the primordial soup of at least 19 different planets across the galaxy. The genetic information must have been incorporated into the earliest life forms on these planets and then passed down through each generation. But why would anyone do this in the first place? And what was this program designed to do? I like the idea. I mean, I like the whole idea of the episode, in all honesty. Yeah, it's a smart idea. And I like the execution. The discovery of our time. Or the most dangerous. And the professor knew that. They all came up negative. Well, I have been through every page of the professor's published works, looking for some clue as to where to go next. So far, nothing. Maybe we've been at this too long. Why don't we get some sleep and start again tomorrow morning? I was in the neighborhood. Hmm? When I asked the professor why he went all the way to Curl, he said, I was in the neighborhood. Doing what? Collecting DNA samples. There's only one planet in the Curlin system capable of supporting life, Lauren 3. No, there is no Lauren 3 sample from the data downloaded from the Professor's shuttle. If he did have one, it must have been taken by the Iridians when they attacked. Mr. Data, set a course for Lauren 3, maximum warp. Aye, sir. I, lo I love the zipping off to different things. It feels like uh, when I would play the Star Trek video game and you would just, like, have to jet off to... It's like a fetch quest. But with yeah. Star Trek. Who's in this sector? I suppose not. But my admittedly hasty estimate shows one Federation starship and two Cardassian war vessels. Perhaps I have miscounted. Not at all. <laughs> but we are on a purely scientific mission. You have no reason to interfere with us. And you have nothing to lose by delaying a purely scientific mission for a few days. I invite you to withdraw. Captain. Klingon attack cruiser decloaking up the starboard bow. She's kind of got him What's that? cold there. She kind of got him cold. He's like coming on strong, and then she's like, you know, we have more uh, more ships than you do. And then he's like, no, 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 I was being friendly. And he backs off, and then she's got him cold, and it's only the uh, the Klingon appearing that uh, screws it all up for uh No, she could take The Enterprise could take those two ships. Oh, really? Yeah. No, well, then she gets it's an empty threat on her part. Pretty much. This is the Klingon vessel Matar. 
What are you doing here? Captain's Log Supplemental, it seems that we have not one, but two competitors in our attempt to complete Professor Galen's puzzle. I have prevailed upon the Cardassian and Klingon captains to meet with me. I believe we all know why we're here. If we can admit that, then we can move forward. We were merely scouting the planet for possible colonization. Ah, a ridiculous story. What were you doing here, then? Scientific research. Ha! Look, if we try to deceive one This guy I love. <laughs> you do? I think, we all... I thought I think you were going to be like, this the... is not a good Klingon. I thought you were going to say that. That's so funny. I feel like this is one of the best comedic Klingon and side character performances that I've seen. This guy made me laugh out loud several times. <laughs> in an intentional way, not in a way good. where I was laughing at him. Alan's research. And about the computer program composed of DNA fragments. I'll take your silence as a confirmation. Now, it stands to reason that none of us have the DNA fragments necessary to complete the program. You were the first to arrive in this system. Do you have an organic sample from the planet below? Yes. And I will fire on anyone who attempts to obtain another one. As if we fear Cardassian threats. I believe that one of you has a fragment from Indri 8. Yes. And there will be no other samples from Indri 8. What is that supposed to mean? He destroyed the biosphere of the planet after he had <laughs> taken the sample. A crazy thing to do. <laughs> Typical Klingon thinking. Take what you want and destroy the rest. Kind of We're true. all missing some of the fragments, not necessarily the same ones. But unless we combine the ones we have, we will never learn the secret of the program. There is no secret. It is an ancient weapon design of incredible power. And the Klingon Empire will not allow it to fall into an enemy's hands, or even a friend's. A weapon? The Uridian who sold us the information claimed that the program would yield the key to an unlimited power source. But until we assemble it, we will never know its purpose. He's right. As far as we know, it might just be a recipe for biscuits. Biscuits? If that is what you believe, then go back to Cardassia. I will send you my mother's recipe. How dare you? Okay, I got a lot of couple. I got a couple of things. That's where I know him from. Where do you know him from? Eastbound and down. Oh, he's the coach. He's one of the coaches. Claim to fame. He's definitely got a crazily long um, uh, resume. Um, but, uh, okay, first thing, I was surprised, and I don't know if it's a, a little bit of fancy something with the, with the Universal Translator, both Romulans and Klingons have biscuits? They don't seem like things definitely Klingons would have, and uh, I'm kind of surprised that Romulans have them. Romulans? Sorry, not Romulans, uh, Cardassians. You're surprised that Cardassians have something the Universal Translator would call a biscuit? A, 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 like a hard bread? So is that it? It's just translating? I mean, that's the explanation that will get you to stop thinking about it, sure. <laughs> I'm asking for a legitimate response. I don't know um, if I, <laughs> you're asking me if legitimately... I'm not asking you to answer it. I'm just saying biscuits. it was weird. <laughs> you don't think they have bread? 
You know, biscuits are very specific. If they meant bread, it could have said bread. They said biscuits. Well, what if they the meant Universal what Translator meant, chose for it to be biscuits? What if it was programmed to cookie? You know, it was yeah. programmed to British, right? Because Picard's listening to it, even though he's French. <laughs> and when he said, when they said biscuit, it's cookies. <laughs> All right. Well, that's your hit, Cannon. Then do you? I mean, I just don't. I don't know. I don't know why it was. Uh, I don't know why it's a hard buy that both. Because it doesn't. Because Klingons are eating uh, live worms all the time. I don't know what Cardassians eat, but it seems like they wouldn't be sitting there with uh, with a bunch of biscuits and uh, gravy. Uh, that's one thing. But they have that nice. Uh, never the that. Thing. Never the nice breakfast that the Cardassian that's interrogating. Yeah, he gave him a he gave him a bunch of that's weird what live he gave eggs. Him, but he had like a cooked eggs and a bread and like a whole thing. Remember. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. So Cardassians have uh, definitely have, have biscuits. biscuits. So they have biscuits. So now we just have to figure out an instance where Klingons had some kind of biscuit. Let me just get into the biscuit machine and type it in. <laughs> By the way, I can't wait for Memory Alpha's input on biscuit. <laughs> oh, good question. Let me look it up. Uh, Here we go. Anyway, already. the second thing. While I'm looking it up, the second thing. Uh, the, the dialogue there is, um, I will send you my mother's recipe. And she goes, how dare you? Is that a bad insult? I'll send you my mother's recipe for biscuits? Uh, maybe it is to the Cardassians. Because we don't know what biscuits are to them. This is it. It's exactly what you thought it would be, Matt. (laughs) Biscuit. A biscuit was a type of pastry. When attempting to decipher the ancient humanoids computer program in 2369, Gullo set sarcastically speculated it could just be a recipe for biscuits. Oh, my God. Prompting New Duck to reply equally sarcastically that if she really believed that, she should return to Cardassia and he would send her his mother's recipe. (laughs) Oh my gosh, memory alpha. <laughs> anyway, memory alpha just so. seems like built to uh to like shut up people like us. <laughs> so amazing. Without cooperation, we will get nowhere. What do you propose? If you each bring your samples on board the Enterprise, I will combine them with ours. And then we will all observe the results simultaneously, giving no one the advantage. And if we refuse? Then this endeavor dies here, in this room. There's still one missing piece. Ah, we have surrendered what we had for nothing. You are remarkably short-sighted, New Dak. We are closer to the answer than we were. We may be very much closer indeed. How can that be? We have no idea where to start looking for the missing DNA fragment. This is a jigsaw puzzle whose pieces are scattered across the galaxy. Doesn't it make it natural to assume that the original designers of the puzzle should want us to find it? 
Why else would they have put the pieces in our DNA? And in turn, wouldn't that suggest that they would try to make it easy for us to find those pieces? That there might be some pattern to the distribution? The um, might be so I try I try to figure out what I know uh Gullisette from. Yeah, and Linda Thorson. To and it's it's the Avengers. Not the, I the, was thinking, the British Avengers. She right, replaced sure, Diana yeah. Rigg. Did you watch a lot of that? Oh, that's why. I, okay, because I was like, what? She was just in some episodes of The Avengers, but if she replaced Diana Rigg, then I would know her from that. Uh, I, accidentally, I accidentally stopped sharing my screen because <laughs> I quit. I closed the window, Andy. Yeah. Like a real dum-dum. This is how you end up with sinking Might problems, even after it's solved. Doctor, program the computer to analyze the distribution of the pieces that we have, correcting for changes in star configurations over four billion years, then extrapolate for the missing piece. That's going to take several hours to set up and to process, excuse me. If you wish, you can stay on board while we wait. I intend to. Um, did you like the part where he got hit I, in the head by Data? I love this scene. Wah! Cha! Way! <laughs> Data beats him Talk. immediately. <laughs> and then he just goes back to his pad. Headbutt of it doesn't work. This is a great comedic performance and a well written scene. It's a poly alloy designed to withstand extreme stress. My skull is composed of cortonide and duranium. (laughs) (laughs) I love that he loves it. (laughs) I understand your intellectual prowess is equally impressive. If I were to learn of the results from the computer search before the others, the Klingon Empire would have a strategic advantage. A being of your abilities would go far in the Empire. You were attempting to bribe me. Not at all. You suggested a plan that would work to your advantage, (laughs) one that I would be capable of executing. You then implied a reward. Clearly you were- Commander! Never mind. <laughs> Data does. Never mind. It's really dumb. I love it. That is a great scene. And it has nothing to do with the plot. Just delightful. The hell? Computer, run a level three diagnostic on the primary defensive systems. What kind of assians are trying to fuck with you? The four- Thank you. That was the diagnostic. <laughs> They're falling. Let's make it look good. Anson, release the inertial dampers. Aye, sir. They are firing. Report number one. The power boost of the structural integrity field protected the nacelles. We used the inertial dampers to simulate complete shield failure. It is fortunate that your engineer discovered Gull Oset's attempt to tamper with your defensive systems. Mata! Status! Minor damage to starboard nacelle. We will be operational in less than one hour. What? 
You incompetent Topa! You were supposed to be prepared! The Cardassian vessels have set a course for Ramazad. Well, what did happen on the Klingon ship? They just, he told they, them exact. They were supposed to do exactly the same thing the Enterprise did, and they yeah, were just they like, they didn't, eh, do, we'll it, get they didn't to do it. They didn't do it as well. I got you. That Ramizad is the wrong planet, Captain. You're very welcome to join us. I will go with you. Hanson, <laughs> set in a course for the Bilbao system, warp nine. Aye, sir. Engage. I don't know if he's. I assume he's not a recurring character. Maybe like yeah. he should have been. This guy's the best. I know he's. I think he's been an actor in many other things in Star Trek. What do you think when they get down there and uh, the Romulans show up? Dishonorable Topa. Perhaps we could exchange insults some other time. I'm rather busy now. Well, it was quite a chase, wasn't it? Some might call it the chase. Oh, we intercepted several communications. <laughs> we followed clues. <laughs> My ship was watching. And I guess we all learned some lessons. <laughs> but so is the tapestry of our lives. Kalen Shuttles attacked. And you have been shadowing us ever since. And now the reward. Step clear, please. I shall destroy the entire rock face and every trace of DNA with it. You will go back to Romulus empty handed. Your superiors will be quite pleased. Perhaps we could come to a compromise. Look at the background Romulans in this scene. <laughs> it's really like the left, the, the, the Romulan on the right and the Romulan on the left. Yeah. Not so much the Romulan in the back. Romulan left and right looked like they just got a call to do background work and had no fucking clue what a Romulan was or what Star Trek was. <laughs> where, do you, where do you think the performance <laughs> And they're on? just all they're just like, okay, so we stand here with our guns? What do you, what do you think they should have been doing here? Uh, no, it's just the, their facial look. It's their look. To me, they Did don't I? look like Romulans. A trace of DNA with it. You will go back to Romulus empty-handed. Your superiors will be quite pleased. A lot Perhaps of not sneering enough. Compromise. You give us the gene code and the Romulans. The seabed. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but this doesn't work for me. Maybe only partially fossilized. It could still contain organic material. Which would still contain the DNA. I know that. Why are you saying that to me? You can be eliminated by a disruption. For the audience. What audience? How can I be sure you won't kill me if I acquiesce? I've given you my word. Etched in stone, no doubt. No deals. There will be no deals as long as I am still alive. Do not press me, Klingon. I don't care whether you live or die. If you fire, others will also. Many will die. This whole thing. They're just talking it through. I have a feeling that that's dialogue that you weren't really supposed to hear because it's so silly. <laughs> uh, yeah, a thousand percent. <laughs> program has been activated but I no but if he shoots us <laughs> then they will have to shoot first i mean the whole thing won't work if one of us perhaps fires a split second before the other they will have the upper hand <laughs> yes but if one of us beams out and then beams back in very quickly on the other side what if one of us beamed into the rock face it's a bad idea we will die together brother tashkota it's modifying the diode emitter to project something. 
wondering who we are. Why we have done this. How it has come that I... I, I love... Conceptually, I love this. And I also love the idea that, like... Like, it's such a great explanation of why all aliens in Star Trek look the same. <laughs> you know? That is, that is fair. It's kind of brilliant in that way. Why they're all bipedal humanoid forms. So the argument is... Who's arguing? I'm not saying the argument. The, the, um, the piece of canon that is established here yeah. is that all, all the races that we see, they're all bipeds, basically are because they are all descended from this species. Yeah. That is pretty amazing. I stand before you, the image of a being from so long ago. It's interesting they got away with it. I thought that there was another. I thought that there was another explanation pre TNG for why they were all bipeds. I don't remember it. If okay. there was. My planet, before all others in this part of the galaxy, we left our world, explored the stars, and found none like ourselves. Our civilization thrived for ages. But what is the life of one race compared to the vast stretches of cosmic time? We knew that one day we would be gone, that nothing of us would survive. So we left you. Our scientists seeded the primordial oceans of many worlds where life was in its infancy. The seed codes directed your evolution toward a physical form resembling ours. This body you see before you, which is of course shaped as yours is shaped, for you are the end result. The seed codes also contain this message, which was scattered in fragments on many different worlds. It was our hope that you would have to come together in fellowship and companionship to hear this message. And if you can see and hear me, our hope has been fulfilled. You are a monument, not to our greatness, but to our existence. That was our wish, that you too would know life and would keep alive our memory. There is something of us in each of you and so something of you in each other remember us that's all <laughs> if she were not dead i would kill her the very notion that a Cardassian could have anything in common with a klingon it turns my stomach go to enterprise standing by sir Captain's log, Stardate 46735.2. You gotta love that, Matt. That that uh, fucking the long Star Trekky emotional speech. So much time is given to it. Oh, I and love it. The first it. thing I that's said at the end it. of it is the guy going, "That's all." Yeah. It's just it got a huge laugh out of me. That was fucking brilliant. <laughs> that was like that was like your 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 inner monologue. <laughs> it was. I think in retrospect, I think I, I have more respect for the fact that they established such a huge, you know, canon thing and, and uh, 
and also that it is so Roddenberry asking has a great message. But I definitely, I definitely was thinking they were chasing around, and everybody thought it was going to be this thing of great power. And I know that's the point. But uh, I love that the clink was just like, oh, man, you know how much time I spent on this for a message of peace? Uh, fuck this. <laughs> if she were not dead, I would kill her now. Oh, my God. It's so great. <laughs> well, Andy, Matt. I'm glad that you enjoyed the, that beat. I really enjoyed the speech, obviously, and I enjoyed this moment with Picard and the Romulan. In command ship. Put it through. Acknowledged. Captain, my ships are leaving orbit for Romulan space. Until our next encounter. Until then. It would seem that we are not completely dissimilar after all. In our hopes enough fears and our two legs and two arms yes and our noses and eyes (laughs) one day one day he took that it really looks like he's about to make out with the the antique it's one of the many selves in the Curlin Nescar oh, here's another uh, here's another Andy's theory you don't have to play the theme for it uh, Picard's gonna make out with the relic certainly the way that he's fondling that thing is he an antiquophile is that the reason he's a virgin he only is well I mean messed he's around with archaeology yeah, he seems like he's a little bit more than that in this oh, episode. Oh, you mean it in the defile way? Yes. Gross. No wonder I didn't play the theme. Oh, boy, it was just a joke theory. Um, there's one other thing uh, before we get to the uh, the end business. Um, uh they have a line that's like our frequent use of high warp over the last few days has overextended the propulsion systems um and i like that as an explanation of the classic thing of why aren't they going at 9.65 which i think we've theorized before but i don't think i've ever heard in the show yeah it's taxed uh, they've taxed the engines quite a bit so that they're always when which they're is not also going like i like that the whole time. too i like that they're like you know that Picard's always like warp twelve. We gotta get out of here. We gotta go to the next thing. We found a clue. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, mad, mad, mad world. <laughs> and, the, and the people are just like, "Hey, you're really fucking up the ship." <laughs> I don't care. Ca- Galen, Professor Galen. Oh dear. Uh, well, Andy, it's time to talk about you. And by you, I mean how many of you we are giving to this episode. How many Andy's does this episode get? Whoops, just kidding. First it's the uh, MVC. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's the MVC, yeah, the MVC. Only Matt and Andy know who it's gonna be. 
will it be Data, Riker, Troy, or Dr. Crusher? If you don't like who they pick, just remember that this podcast is free. I wish I could give it to the Klingon. Um, I mean, I feel like it's a half and half, and it's got to go Crusher, Picard. Uh-huh. Is there the new dynamic, the new dynamic duo on on TNG: Picard and does it, and and Crusher. Doesn't Jordy figure out the who's the one, or is it Data who figures out the? Uh, the way to trick the um doesn't matter they wouldn't have to figure that out if they didn't figure out that it was dna mm-hmm. no, it's not they would nothing. be they'd be clueless yeah just like alicia silverstone mm-hmm. uh okay fair enough in well, I'll give in, it to, in la chase i'll give it to picard you can give it to beverly okay or well, that's give it to beverly. what i said i'm giving it to half and half i'm splitting it okay. myself then I- you can give it to whomever and make them earn more uh-huh. I'm going to give it to Beverly entirely because uh, Beverly, uh, I feel like, did more in this episode. Wow. You just tried to give it to Jordy and now you're giving it to Beverly. Yep. You're out of control. Uh, sure. There you go. Beverly Crusher, one and a half votes, and Picard with a half a vote. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to figure out how many Andes this gets. How many Andes does this episode get? Um, you know, I started lower, and uh, as we went through it, I realized there were a lot of things I enjoyed. I would say it definitely was pulled up at least a half a point. Yeah, the, I mean, I can see, I, I, I can absolutely see where you're coming from regarding it not being like the most exciting thing and not being the most mm, plot movie thing. But I like the what, the larger implications for the Star Trek world, uh, and I like seeing Picard like this, and I like Crusher and Picard like. Uh, Scooby doing, and um, I love the uh, Enterprise going back and forth all over the galaxy trying to solve this mystery. I loved uh, Galen's performance. I loved mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart's performance. I enjoy this episode quite a bit. Um, I watch it quite a bit too. Uh, so I, I'm going to give it an eight point five. An eight point five. Uh, reasonable. Uh, your points are reasonable. I like how uh, I like this. You know the 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 adjustment of canon. Um, I uh, I like seeing Picard getting all excited. Love the scenes with Beverly. Uh, I like the scene at the beginning. I like that we've had a rash of episodes recently with Deanna doing some legitimate Deanna stuff with Picard. Um, and I boy do I love that Klingon character. And I also. I th- would say that I started lower because I kind of the the archaeological well, while I like the concept of oh it's the different the different species are sort of f- you know fighting and chasing and it's like a, a big chase to get the the thing somehow this episode just seems to lack momentum for me ironically since they're zipping around the universe I'm just kind of not invested and then the stakes at the end I kind of in, in initial viewing I kind of was with the Klingon which is why I think I found the Klingon's reaction so fucking perfect I, but on the other hand I've always thought they should have they, explored it more uh huh and that might have been the thing they might have thrown it in and then it doesn't you don't really feel the ramifications of it 
And so therefore, it doesn't feel like it has the weight. The weight is in, in implied, or you have to infer it. Yeah, I think you do. You have to infer it through the characters, like you know, because there's people who will look at it and think of it like the Klingon does, and think of it like the Romulan does, and think of it like Picard does. And I, yeah, I really like it. I like. I think that it is a big. Uh, I wish it had been like a two-parter and they'd have more time to explore those that founding race. Yeah, that would have been nice. Although I don't know if this would have this would have had the the meat for a two-parter. Um maybe you just fill out the first the first part with data having dreams and then the second part is all this. Mm. Um <laughs> the um oh slam. Oh, I got him. Dream slam. Uh um the uh I had a cool thought or a question. I don't remember what it is. A Cole Porter question? What? I had a Cole Porter question. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See what I can do. Um, I don't know the question, but I don't uh, recall. what. Oh, the Romulan. Uh, may I ask you, did you think it's like you can't have the Klingon give that speech to Picard at the end because the Klingons and the humans have already sort of patched up a lot of their differences. And the Cardassians, I guess it feels like they're kind of new enemies. Yeah, I think you go, I thought the Romulans were a great choice. But would a Romulan really have watched that and said that thing to Picard at the end? It felt like a little bit of a stretch. Well, knowing what you know, that there are Romulans, uh, like, for instance, that Romulan scientist from Voyager. Remember that episode we watched? Yeah, that's true. I, I guess mean, we've seen their some their species is much like humanity. It's very it's wide and sweeping. Yeah. Okay. All right. You sold it to me. Uh, I give it a seven. There we go. A seven. It's time to watch the trailer for Frame of Mind, Andy. I can bring it up over here, and we can watch it at the same time. This is amazing. This is a whole new world. A whole new, new world. world. A brave new world to watch you two. Strange new worlds. Um, I've already forgotten how to do it, and here it is. All right, we're gonna watch the trailer to Frame of Mind, which is an episode, if I remember correctly, I didn't like because it scared me. Morning, Riker falls victim to an unknown hysteria. And the crew fears he's suffering from a mental breakdown. The mind can manufacture all kinds of things. But are they all in the grips of a powerful delusion? None of it's real. You're still with us on the Enterprise. Or is Riker slipping into a terrifying madness? Let me Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. I, I don't. I don't remember. They gave away a little bit too much about the episode. I honestly, there. I don't remember the 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 shattering at all. I don't remember that in the episode. I mean, this is an episode I've probably seen once or twice. Uh huh. So, I guess I'll look forward to watching it with all of you. Interesting. Thank you for being interesting. Thank you for being interesting, Andy. Don't forget for an interesting reaction. Deanna. That's it, Deanna. Deanna. And I'm Devin Aniral. <laughs> and I'm God. And I'm the deputy. And I'm just an old man. And I'm out of touch. And I'm not daydreaming either. <laughs> All right. 
I've had fun. I hope you did too. We'll see you next week, guys. Das engage. Follow Star Trek The Next Conversation on social media. You can find them on Instagram and Twitter at Star Trek TNC. On Facebook, search for Star Trek TNC and join the face group. Send comments, questions, prime correctives, and anything else to sttncpod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to leave a voice hail, call 816-TREK-TNC. That's 816-873-5862. For callers outside of the United States, use country code PLUS1. And don't worry, no one answers the phone. It's only for messages. If you've got something to mail to Matt or Andy, send it to Andrew Secunda, P.O. Box 46898, Los Angeles, California, 90046. And please send an email to let them know that something is coming. Finally, to support the podcast and get even more content, visit patreon.com forward slash Star Trek TNC. Be a lieutenant for only $5 per month or join the President Circle for $17.01 per month.